0: Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode.
1: So this is week seven of our series on the book of Galatians and Just in my own preparation, sometimes I become a little bit jaded isn't the word because I'm I'm actually kind of geeking out on this sermon series. Like I've had a lot of fun preparing stuff, but I know that as each week as we come in here, there's one resounding theme that keeps surfacing and that is circumcision, which isn't something that people like to talk about all the time, Uh, maybe sometime, but not all the time. But you know what? I I got bad news for you. If this is something that you're not looking forward to tonight, guess what we're going to talk about tonight? We're gonna talk about circumcision tonight a little bit because this is really important in setting out the framework for this entire letter. This is Galatians. We will uh, read the verses that we looked at last week and review some of them to help us figure out what Paul is talking about this week. This is Galatians chapter three, beginning in verse one. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse— He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit, the Word of God for the people of God. Before we get into things tonight, let's just pause for a word of prayer. God, we ask that you would give us clarity of thought, that you would um, guide our steps, guide my words. May the things that are said here in this place guide us into your truth, and may we leave here more encouraged and more impassioned to follow you with everything that we have. May we be able to reflect and look at our own selves in light of the death and resurrection of your son and to see where we draw lines and where we exclude people and where we do not allow people to experience the grace that we have experienced. God, may you in this evening begin to break down the walls that we have built up, perhaps the walls that separate us from you, perhaps the walls that separate us from other people. But in both of those situations, God, would you do work? Would you call us to understand you with more clarity, to be more grateful for the life and the hope that we have that's through your son? And humble us as we attempt to study your word this evening. We trust that your spirit will guide us, and we ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul's argument last week in the first five verses of chapter three is an argument from experience, which is weird for Paul because Paul is a, is a first century Jewish Pharisee who is steeped in the scripture. But he goes to the Galatians and says, You foolish Galatians, why is it that you are abandoning the gospel that I have preached to you and reverting back into Law keeping. Now, when I say law-keeping, maybe a lot of you think, oh, it's a, it's a legalistic sort of thing. It's, it's them trying to earn their salvation or merit their salvation. That's not necessarily what's happening here. The gospel that Paul has preached to these churches is one of grace, and it's the good news that Jesus has fundamentally changed everything. And in order for us to be part of the family, for us to follow him, all we must do is trust in his perfect work on the cross and the empty tomb. That's all that it takes. However, as Paul was starting these churches, other Jewish Christian missionaries were kind of sneaking in the back door and saying, listen, what Paul has told you isn't the case. There's more things that you have to do. Jesus is great, but in order to really be in the family, you have to be circumcised. You have to eat the right food with the right people. You have to observe the Sabbath. It wasn't about Jewish legalism so much as it was Jewish identity markers. For these Gentile Christians who were not Jewish people, for them to become part of this family, The Jewish Christian missionaries that Paul was debating against, they were they were carving a different gospel that was asking people to do all of these things that were Jewish in nature circumcision and food laws and Sabbath observance. And these people didn't really know who to believe. They had gotten the gospel from Paul. But as Paul left and these other people came in, they began to move towards circumcision. They began to move towards trying to observe these food laws. They began to move towards Sabbath observance. So what Paul is saying is, why are you doing that? Tell me. I just have one question for you, Galatian churches. One question. Did the spirit of God show up in your lives based on your keeping the law? or by your belief in what you have heard? This is the question that Paul is framing. And last week we looked at this idea of affirming the experiences that we have had, these spiritual experiences where Jesus has been so present in our lives, where the spirit has enveloped us and we have felt as though God was with us. And for a lot of us in the room, I know it as much as I'm standing here. We are a nerdy group. A lot of us struggle with things like that where you say it's about experience and what you feel. And some of you might wanna push back and say, well, it's not just about what I feel. We've gotta have some real things to ground this in. And it's interesting that Paul starts this argument by saying, do not forget. The fact that you have received the Spirit. Do not forget the fact that you have accepted Jesus and something about your life has fundamentally changed without you doing all of this Jewish stuff. But then, because Paul is a good first century Jew, he moves from an argument of experience into an argument from Scripture. Now, here's the problem, folks. We, as 21st century American readers of Scripture, we miss out on what Paul is doing because Paul was a first century Jewish Christian who had been trained as a Pharisee and taught to read the Bible according to the contemporary Jewish interpretive and hermeneutical approaches of his time as he was writing the book of Galatians to counter the bad biblical interpretations of other first century Jewish Christian scholars and teachers. It's so obvious, right guys? In other words, what we learn here is that Paul was interpreting the Bible as an ancient Jew embedded within a first century context. And another way to say this is Paul was reading the Bible not like we read the Bible. Paul was as I mentioned earlier, in the pharisaical tradition, in the Jewish understanding of scripture and the way that he goes about looking at the Old Testament is completely fascinating and it's not necessarily something that we might feel comfortable doing. So what Paul begins and how he begins his argument, he says, so also Abraham. And now Abraham is an important figure in the Jewish faith. Abraham is the one through whom God says, Abraham, I will give you land and I will make your name great, and I will give you offspring that will become kings, and I will give you land, and I will give you all these things, and it's through you, Abraham, that the world will be blessed. Abraham is, in the parlance of our time, the guy that God chooses to work out his promises through. And what Paul does is he's using Abraham because in this context, the Jewish Christian missionaries who were sneaking into the churches of Galatia were certainly appealing to Abraham as well. And what Paul does is he says, Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith. Abraham trusted. And perhaps the most notable instance of this is when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, which we won't really talk about tonight. But Abraham trusted who God was believed what God told him to do, walked in faith, and responded obediently to who God was. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, you can see on the screen there that I make a note. This is a a text that comes from Genesis chapter 15. This is what Paul does. He knows the scriptures so well that when he speaks, parts of scripture just come out from him, all over the place, he is making either citations to the Old Testament, or he has these what scholars call echoes to the Old Testament, or allusions to the Old Testament. This happens when you're like in a conversation with someone, and they set you up for to, to introduce that movie quote, or that line from the new Drake song, or whatever it is that you guys are into, where you're like, oh, I'm going to sneak that one in there, because you're so embedded within this cultural context, that you can use some of that in the way that you speak, and Paul was so embedded within an Old Testament context that as he was speaking to scripture was pouring out from him this is what the jewish people did and you can tell from how fast i'm talking that i'm very excited about this no okay we'll continue on this is genesis chapter 15 abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness now this is in contrast to what these jewish christian missionaries were saying to the Galatian churches. They were saying, Abraham was circumcised. Therefore, you too must be circumcised. And some of the stuff that we looked at last week really brought this brought this out for our uh, consideration. One Jewish text says, great is circumcision, for in spite of all the virtues that Abraham our father fulfilled, he was not called perfect until he was circumcised. As it is said in Genesis 17, one, walk before me and be thou perfect. And Genesis 17 is when Abraham becomes perfect circumcised. When was it that Abraham was deemed to be righteous? Genesis 15. When was it that Abraham became circumcised? Genesis 17, another Jewish scripture or a Jewish teaching says circumcision removed Abraham's only blemish. They really cared about this because this was the covenant that God had given to his people. In order to be in, all of your male offspring and all of the males in your houses must be circumcised to be part of the Jewish people. So you could see how the Jewish Christians, when they're trying to deal with what Jesus has done and trying to mess with figuring out how to do this, you could see why they might say it's good for you to be Circumcised. Now, this is what Paul does, and this is Paul's uh, genius as he is engaging with the Jewish Christian missionaries who were stressing the importance of this event in Abraham's life, and as a result, were stressing circumcision as an entry right or identity marker for all new believers. This is what Paul does. He sees in the scripture the timeline that's going on here. Well, look at it. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is believing, he's trusting And he's deemed or declared to be righteous on the basis of his faith in Genesis chapter 15. And it's not until Genesis 17 when Abraham is circumcised. So what Paul does is say, Trump card. Genesis 15. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. See guys, you don't have to be circumcised because Abraham was already deemed to be faithful before he was circumcised. Paul is such a shady and sneaky interpreter of the Bible, right? And this would have made these guys fume. I cannot express how mad they would have been at this because Paul is seeing them at their own game and pulling out the trump card or putting them into checkmate because of what he's saying. Richard Hayes says this passage is crucial for Paul because it forces attention on a point in the story of Abraham Prior to his circumcision, where he is said to be accounted righteous, that is in right covenant relationship with God. And this is what Paul is looking at. Abraham was in right relationship with God without being circumcised. And you guys, too, don't need to be circumcised. So why? Why would you go back to the chains of this law and stressing the identity markers of the Jewish faith that these Jewish Christian missionaries are putting upon you in this moment. Paul continues and he says, understand then that those whose identity is derived from faith, I'm kind of teasing out what's what's in the text here. Understand then that those whose identity is derived by faith, even if they are Gentiles, those people are children of Abraham. For the people that were first hearing this, they would not have been able to really wrap their minds around what's going on, but they would have heard Paul saying, even the people who are Gentiles, even the people who are not circumcised, they are children of Abraham. It's not about the Jewish identity markers. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. We can put a side note here as well. As we think through this um, attribution of these people whose identity is derived from faith. This is not just a moment of believing and trusting. This is not just a moment of saying yeah I I bet Jesus was a good guy and he probably died for my sins and that probably has something to do with something and that's important. These are people that, that they take that confession and they live that out. Their life and their identity is derived by their faithfulness and we can pause here for a moment and ask the very pregnant but resounding question in the room is our lives and our identities derived from faith. Do the decisions that we make and the things that we say and the relationships that we build give the world an image of the faith that we have in Jesus? And when Paul says this to people, that the the folks that were not circumcised, that didn't eat the right foods that they were in, the only thing that people could have said at the moment was, He continues, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. The Old Testament gets a bad rap because for most people, as you turn the pages of the Old Testament, you think it's about one people group. You think it's about Israel. But what we forget is in the very beginning of the Old Testament, As God is calling Abraham to be the guy, he tells Abraham that the world will be blessed through you. It is not just about Israel. It is about Israel being a light to the nations, as Isaiah the prophet would say. Their job was to go beyond and to bring people in. Now, the way they brought people in in the Old Testament was different than what has happened through Jesus. But what Paul is seeing is he's going back to this text, the highlighted bit at the bottom. That's from Genesis chapter 12, where where God is saying that all nations will be blessed through you. So what we see here, again, if we're looking at scripture chronologically or canonically or in the order in which we we see it, we've got Abraham being circumcised in Genesis 17. And before that, Abraham is deemed or declared to be righteous on the basis of his faith. And even before that, God says that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. And what Paul is doing, he's taking these two texts and framing and putting a foundation on the fact that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people will be brought into the family by faith and by faith alone it's not about circumcision it's not about what you eat it's not about when you eat it. it's not about how you eat it. it's not about what you do on the Sabbath it's about Jesus period now at this point I imagine that this has seemed like review even though here we are again week seven uh, but I want to take us somewhere with this text N.T. Wright says, if Genesis 15 speaks of faith as the sign of covenant membership, and then Genesis 12, the opening of the Abraham story, promises that God will bless all nations through him, and he put the two together, what do you have? Well, this is what you have. In a short, tight-packed form, we have Paul's whole argument. When people believe the gospel of Jesus, they are already Abraham's true children. What we fail to recognize at times, and maybe even in this moment, What Paul is saying includes us in this story. What Jesus has done in breaking down the barriers between people groups, between Jew and Gentile, it allows us to be the ones who can experience this grace and to sit at this table and to to dine with the Savior of the world. It allows us to become part of this family, and I don't want that to be lost on us because what Paul is doing in this text is ground-breaking. Now, he's got some weird arguments as he goes on. And I'll try to make some sense of these. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law, and remember, when Paul says the works of the law, he's not talking about Jewish legalism. He's talking about circumcision and food laws and Sabbath keeping. For all who rely on these identity markers of the Jewish people, all of those people, they're under a curse. As it is written, curses is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And this is weird because what Paul is saying is not really consistent. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law, you're screwed. And as it is written, if you don't do the works of the law, you're screwed. So the best way of reading this this is very literally, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't for Paul. Because what he's saying is, if you are living in this um, reality and your identity is shaped as one who is trying to keep the law, you're cursed. And the text that he quotes says that if you don't keep all of the law, You're cursed. What Paul is doing is he's taking both of these things and bringing them all together and saying the law is not the thing, whether you do it or you don't do it, it is not the thing that will save you because it was never even meant to function in that way. The law has a time stamp on it where people would live and understand what their sin was in the midst of that time. But then when Jesus shows up, and this is what Paul is at pains to say, when Jesus shows up, everything fundamentally changes at the very core of reality. He goes on to say, clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because it's the righteous that will live by faith. And this is what Christ delivers us from. This is the point of this book. This is the point of all of these sermons that we're talking about. This is the point of every week coming in here is to be reminded of this single solitary fact that Christ has delivered us from the bonds of the law, from the bonds of the Jewish identity markers, from the bonds of having to add things to what he has done so that we don't have a gospel that is Jesus plus something. We just have a gospel that is Jesus, period, Yet the way that we live is Jesus plus fill in the blank. And we'll get there in a bit. But this is what Christ has delivered us from. And the verb that Paul uses there is like being released from bondage as a slave. When we sing we are no longer slaves. It's got like a biblical root to it. And this is what Paul is saying, that Christ has delivered us from these things. Christ has become a curse for us. Christ has become redemption for us. Christ was made to be sin for us. When it all comes down to it, Richard Hayes says, Jesus' death on a cross not only defines the meaning of love, but it also transforms everything, ending the old world under the law and opening up a new world of grace, freedom, and blessing for us. The old has passed away and the new has come yet just like the Galatian churches we take a hard left and we go back to the old ways where we're attempting to earn things and we're attempting to merit things and we're attempting to live within a certain structure that that we think will get us closer to who God is. Now this is where I want to bring us to this point tonight. And we can stop here for a moment. And I know for some of you in the room that Jesus might not be a, a, a concept or a person that has meant much to you up until this point, might not be a concept or a person that means much to you right now. But for the Christians in the room, I do want you to pause for a moment and to understand that Jesus took on the very worst of what the world had to offer and put it to death. Jesus became a curse for us so that we would not have to live under that. Jesus became made sin who had not known any sin for us so that our sins could be forgiven. Jesus becomes redemption and becomes hope and becomes love in the clearest sense of the term so that we can experience those things here and now. And I hope that for the Christians in the room that we are a people whose lives and identities are shaped by the faith that we have, not just in that, in that um, mental ascent, but in our very lives and our being where we are shaped into being people that look like Jesus. Now, this is where I want to end today because I do think that some of these sermons are kind of going together. It's like circumcision bad, Jesus good. We could just kind of start there. That'll be the review for next week. Circumcision bad, Jesus good. But here, I want you to think about this for a second. Scott McKnight, uh, brings the teaching in this passage together by saying God loves all kinds of people and works with all kinds. Therefore, the church cannot construct barriers that prevent inclusion of some kinds. I'll read that one more time. God loves all kinds of people and works with all kinds. Therefore, the church, that's us, cannot construct barriers that prevent inclusion of some kinds. And in order to get here, I think we have to pause for a moment and think about Jews and Gentiles in the first century. Jews, thinking that they have everything figured out, thinking that as long as they are circumcised and as long as they follow the law in certain ways and as long as they are descendants of Abraham that they're in and the Christians now showing up and kind of doing things completely different. You got this radical former Pharisee named Paul who shows up and says, yeah, forget that. It's just about grace. All you have to do is accept Jesus. You can eat whatever you want, doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want on Sabbath, doesn't matter. Like Paul's just going at it in a completely different way. We've got these two groups that are at odds with one another, two groups that are vying for authority and vying for truthfulness and vying for the correct understanding of what this world is. Is all about and as I think about the divide between these two people and I see where Paul is going where he th- says things like because of Jesus there's neither Jew nor Gentile slave nor free neither male and no- nor female we have these sorts of ideas where it's not just about the Jewish and the Gentile controversy in the first century it's also about the us and the them controversies in the 21st century in our context where we sit here and now each and every week we talk about the gospel We talk about how Jesus has fundamentally transformed everything through his death and his resurrection and the the change that that should bring about in our lives. Yet, when we go out of this building, when we look at our Facebook feeds and perhaps we contribute to this, it's an us and them mentality that it doesn't look very much different between the Jew and the Gentile of the first century. Where We look at our Facebook feed and think, oh, this person that's thinking about gun rights, they're crazy. They could never be a Christian. Oh, this, pe- this people over here, that just they just keep talking about the Second Amendment. They're not in. They don't get it. Oh, these people over here that just think this about this racial group or this, and they just kind of go back and forth, and we have this us and them mentality where we build up walls against people. And the way that we demonstrate that is through our unfollow button. It's like we just don't even want to hear it. We don't even want to see where these people are going because they just annoy us so badly. It's like I can't even be a present around these people. I've got to, can't do it, got to unfollow them. I'll see them in heaven, maybe, and if I do, we won't talk about guns, if we're there. <laughs> you know, like we, we just have these things that divide us, and I think that as Christians, we're doing a pretty terrible job of living out this unity that we have. So on Wednesday night, what we tried to do was we tried to, we tried to take a risk. We tried to open up ourselves to the community and to a difficult conversation. We showed a documentary called The 13th. We had it in this uh, space. It's about mass incarceration and racial issues within American uh, culture, which I think, uh, I'll say this, and we can think about it collectively, and maybe it'll be wrong, and we can come back and talk about how it's wrong later, but I think that it's good for the church to be engaged in these sorts of things. I don't think it's good for the church to take political stances and to lobby for certain bills or uh, politicians, but I do think it's important for us to be engaged socially and culturally about things that I think Jesus cares about. Whatever your views are on mass incarceration and the prison system in America, I think that we can at least all agree that Jesus doesn't like racial divides. I think that we can at least agree that when we sit at this one shared table, that there will be people from different backgrounds and different cultures and different ethnicities that all follow Jesus together. And my hope is that we can begin to live some of that out here and now. But one of the things that was so poignant about this night, we had a panel of really ridiculously good uh, professors from SU and one was from UMES and they were just leading us through this conversation that's very difficult and weighty conversation about what in the world's going on in our country. And it, we, we moved from mass incarceration to all these other issues that were so um, applicable to this particular uh, moment. But there was this one Instance in the night and I hope this isn't an overshare, but this was my experience of the evening There was one instance where there was an african-american gentleman over here on the side Probably 30 years old or so and he was asking one of our african-american panelists To help him figure out how he should go about helping white people understand the life that he's lived and the circumstances that he finds himself in. And the story that he recounted was one where he was pulled over. And for this gentleman, this is his experience, and I've learned to, to validate people's experiences. He, um, he began to panic and he began to be afraid because of what may or may not happen. And again, I'm, I'm already halfway into this story and I'm hopeful that this isn't, this isn't wrong or, or inappropriate. The police officer said to him, don't worry, you're one of the good ones. And by no means does this uh, characterize all police officers. I have a handful of police officer friends that I highly respect and love and would go to bat for. But in this moment, I'm hearing this conversation that he's having with the expert up on stage and the expert not really even knowing how to guide him, how to direct him, and just seeing myself so far on the outside and thinking like "This, this isn't us, and them sort of conversation that I can't really engage in. I was the moderator and I had a microphone, but there's nothing I could say in that moment that would help in any way, shape, or form, because this was not my experience and this was not something that I understood, but all I could figure out in that moment was to listen, to learn, to be shaped, and to be changed by a truth that was exchanged between two other people. And I'm hopeful that in the midst of that, there was a little bit of the us and a little bit of the them that began to crumble as I began to wrap my brain around the experiences that I do not have and the things that I do not have to worry about being a very white, very middle-class American citizen today. But it's not just about racial issues that that has an us and a them. There's so many other instances, and, and within this family here as believers, it's us that believe the right things and them that don't really believe the right things, or us that have baptism figured out and them that don't really have baptism figured out. It's us that will have a drink at dinner and them that won't have a drink at dinner. It's it's all these stupid things that are actually pretty important, but we, we make them into s- such weighty divides that we begin to write the story of who's in and who's out, and we become defined by the us and the them. And I think that as we sit here, if we would allow ourselves just to engage that for a moment and think about who is them. In our life, who are the people that we have ostracized and pushed out? Who are the people that we don't give the gospel to? Who are the people that we think have no business being a part of this because they aren't as intelligent as we are, they don't make enough money like we do, or they don't wear the same clothes, or this or that, or the other thing. And I see what Paul is doing in, in Galatians is he's breaking down the barriers between two groups that did not understand one another, that could not come together except through Jesus. And I'm hopeful that perhaps if we are a people that become identified by the faith that we have, perhaps our shared faith in Jesus could continue to break down some of the barriers that we have constructed, whether they are racial barriers or cultural barriers or barriers based on any sort of thing that divides us. Perhaps, like we say, Jesus can be enough. Perhaps that's the message that we preach and that's the message that we live so that when we have this metaphorical shared table We aren't the ones that are saying who's in and who's out. We are the ones that are focusing on Jesus and inviting people in. For too long, I think we have been the gatekeepers, and it's important for us now to move from keeping people out to opening the door wide and allowing people to come in because that is what Jesus has done. He has fundamentally changed and transformed everything. We say it every week, and I hope that it's something that actually rings true in our lives. And as a result, he offers freedom and hope and peace and love. We should not only receive that for ourselves, but we should open up and extend that to others.
0: Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at RestoreSBY.org. See you next week.